Hello everyone and welcome to the Grumpy Surfer podcast. I'm your host, Ads Lyson. On the podcast today, Matt Wildgoose returns to talk about the second half of his career. In this episode, we talk about Afghanistan, Iraq, Norway, lots of places that the Royal Marines travel and go on their exercises. We also talk about Matt's involvement with the Royal Marines Association and the Forces Veterans. So please sit back and enjoy a Grumpy Surfer conversation with Matt Wildgoose. Matt Walgoose, welcome back to the Grumpy Surfer podcast. How are you doing? How are you doing, pal? We're nice nice in your house, just on the uh, edges of Dartmoor up in Princetown. Yeah, typical Dartmoor weather today. Yeah. Do you know what? It's actually really nice. I had, um, I had a conversation about this the other day when I was down in Plymouth and... You know, when it's the weather's all clagged in, but it's like that really fine rain <laughs> yeah. or that really wet rain that gets yeah. you really wet. Yeah. Do you put your Gore-Tex on or not? It's one of them, uh, are we going to get wet walking through the mist? Yeah. you got a cracking view out here anyway. For those of you that, well, obviously you can't see because I haven't got a camera on this, but Goose's uh, kitchen window looks straight out pretty much. Out oh, that, that's homing beam just there. The live ranges there. Okay. So uh, yeah, it, by living on the edge of the village, we've got hence why we bought it. So uh, it's a very nice view. Right next to the prison as well. Right next door to the prison. Yeah. Well, well, this row is uh, old screws quarters. So they were built at the turn of the century, and uh, they're very well granite and they're built out the same granite as the prison. So they're not going to go anywhere. Do you ever? Um, do you ever get any? Do you ever hear the prison when they're? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, when the wind changes. Uh, you'd, and the first time that happened, I thought, what on earth's going on? So I'm going to riot. All this gobbing off. It sounded like a, sounded like a football crowd. And then uh, and then, a, and then the wind changed and it, it was gone again. So, yeah, you do sometimes hear them, but not, not as often as like the the row below us. They obviously can be quite vocal down there. What about when they're like rioting and stuff? I mean, they don't do that f- that frequently, but... Well, uh, we get tend to hear from it because next door, George, he's... Uh, He's a prison officer and he's been a prison officer all his life and he tells us all kinds of things, what's, what's gone on. And, uh, so it, very rarely that does happen, but he says it's on the verge of happening because of the cutback of prison officers. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah, because they, con- they constantly lock them up, constantly cut back, and then so they have to lock them up more, which creates more of a problem. Yeah, it's quite a historical prison though, isn't it? You know, I think the, uh, went the craze here for a bit. And... That's right. What used to be an A-range prison, it's a C-range prison now. I do the history talk for the village, so, uh, you know, it was built in 1806 uh, by Sir Thomas Turwitt for American prisoners, no, French prisoners of war, then American prisoners of war for the Forgotten War of 1812. So you get a lot of American tourists here. There's an American cemetery down the road there. Oh, really? Yeah, where they've got mainly US uh, say, sailors and US Marines. Buried. So you do get uh, uh, families coming uh, to visit or historically visiting, but they uh, but it's closed that cemetery because it's on the boundary of the walls. They had to close it because people were going there and throwing stuff over the wall, not necessarily to visit the American cemetery, but because it's on the boundary, they were throwing stuff over the wall. So that's why they have to they had to close it. All right, okay. But you can visit. You just have to ask to have the gates opened. There you go. Every day's a uh, a learning day, isn't it? Every day's a school day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. So at the end of uh, the last podcast, I think we got to uh, two thousand and three. So it was the tail end of um, uh, um, of Optelic. Yeah. Um, we've had some. Well, you and and I have both had some really good feedback from from you know old 
Yeah, a few friends people, and a few people got in touch. I didn't haven't heard from for ages from that podcast. It was uh, quite nice. Yeah, it's also you know from from my perspective, it's a positive thing. You know, getting getting people to message me, you know, that I've not spoken to for years. Um, you know, listening to it and. You know, it's it's also good because you know you get back to talking with people that you haven't, like you said, you haven't spoken to for like what ten, twelve, fifteen yeah. years and stuff. And yeah, I haven't spoken to some people for ages, uh, almost that long. Some of them, especially when they're talking about like reminiscing. You're like, oh, yeah, well, I forgot about that story. I forgot <laughs> no, exactly, about yeah. that one. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Like yeah. you know, that's a good thing about top tables or seeing lads at weddings. You know, you start spinning dits and you're like, oh, I forgot about that or. And oh, and they, they explain something what you'd done. Oh yeah, I'd completely forgotten about that. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's go back to two thousand and three. Then two thousand and three, we came back from uh, from Telec. Where did you go from there? Yeah. So uh, obviously, true sergeant with M Company. Came back uh, to M Company, and being tanks, we tend to stay in a unit. So everyone changed over. Uh, all the other troop sergeants, Sandy uh, Bridson, Brideson, uh, who ended up being an officer, uh, he was the GD troop sergeant. He went off and uh, went to train officers. Uh, the other troop sergeant, uh, Sully, went back to 40, I think. I stayed at 42. Uh, all the officers changed. And then the second all the officers changed and all the seniors changed, all the tankies stayed the same, all the GD lads all changed over. So we were try- still remembering and using lessons learnt and then you get, as usual, a new lot of like, officers come in and then, oh, we're going to do it this way. And you're like, well, and that's when your experience of a troop sergeant comes in going, having to explain, okay, we can do it this way. And right, you're in charge, you know, you crack on. So however, we have learned this way. And what I found challenging was because the lads knew that and they'd, they'd start gobbing off as well. And you're like, you know, oh, my God, we know this and we've done this before, which, yeah, that's, the testing part of a troop sergeant is controlling the lads against the new officer who doesn't know any different. He's just trying to do the right thing, but it's generally sometimes, uh, you know, it's a, it's a learning curve. It was a learning curve for me. And I said a few things that now I thought, well, perhaps I shouldn't have said that, you know, I should have, you know, bit my tongue a little bit. So yeah, we came, I came back to our company. We went on, I think Aurora, I think it was called Excise Aurora over in the States, uh, with M company. And it was just with a new leadership, uh, it was uh, a little bit challenging for me and MSG had just started or what was the MST and I asked could I go there instead of staying in M company and I went across to M- uh, MSG because I was going to go on selection uh, I was thought I'm, I'm leaving it too late I'm leaving it too late I should have gone and tried for selection uh, uh, and while I was waiting to go on selection I went to MSG and I really enjoyed it at MSG. It was, uh, in fact, you were there then, weren't you? Yeah, so MSG's uh, mobile support group, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I went across to MSG and I, I failed myself, did the briefing course uh, for Hereford and failed myself really because uh, my Mrs. Erica, she fell pregnant with Max at the time and I stayed quite rightly to see the birth of Max and didn't do that course and course then it, it was the next course and then it just never never came about and uh, I basically wrapped myself and didn't never went and it was just something I should have perhaps tried for but I didn't yeah so yeah so I stayed at uh, 4-2 with MSG 
for another year or so. So I ended up being a troop sergeant uh, for four years, including operational tours, obviously Iraq. And then we did uh, did a Norway with M Company and a Norway uh, and the States. And then uh, uh, Ron Sinclair was the uh, branch sponsor at the time. And he said, look, you're due to go, so we need to move. You, where do you want to go? And I really didn't know other than 40 or 45. And uh, I thought, oh, I'll go to 40. And he said, oh, have you ever, you need to get out the loop a little bit. You know, you give someone else a go. And I thought, oh, okay, fair one. I didn't realise it was such a uh, a job that everyone wanted. Uh, and uh, he said, what about rally? And I went, no, not a chance. <laughs> no way. Uh, if I've got an option, I'd rather not work with Matlow's. And he said, well, okay, what about the RMR? And I thought, oh, I've never never worked with the RMR before. I've met RMR lads. And he went, right, put in for that and see where you get you. So he rang me back that afternoon. He goes, have you put in for it? I went, well, I'm about to go on JPA now. He goes, well, funny old thing, you're on it. <laughs> you, oh, join, you join RMR Bristol next week. Or well, it was pretty close. It may not have been the next week, but it was very close. So I went to RMR Bristol for 18 months. And that was, uh, I don't know, working with the reserves. Going back to uh, going back to Norway was that the Norway trip where I'm not again I'm not going to say any uh, surnames but um, where the first sort of like bumbling error was someone had forgot to bring or had brought the wrong map in. I don't know. Uh, it, that does sound about right. Yeah, was I, that for the Rangers? I think you're right there. So I, I, I remember the um, it was either a Navex or something we were doing that night. And uh, we'd given this mapping, and then when you went away to do like all the grids and stuff, and I think some of the lads actually went on the ground. I do not know how they did it, <laughs> but it was the wrong mapping for the area. I can't remember that, but uh, it sounds familiar. But then again, compared that was about two thousand, two thousand four, five, type four, and that was nothing compared to my first Norways, where the first Norways, the mapping they had was been was dated from the war, yeah. World War Two. And the resistance had made the mats for the Germans, so they'd actually put false, false features on it. So I couldn't really drink compared to what we got, <laughs> compared Foul. to what they went through. You know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can imagine that would be like. Yeah, we should be coming up to uh, to a yeah. high feature now. No, it's not yeah. there. God's removed it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember the Ted telling me that story, and I thought, like, really? He goes, No, no. If you look at these certain maps, this certain feature, and it won't be there. It's like, wow. But yeah, no, I, I remember hearing that because I, I came out at Max's birth and then went out to that Norway. But I went out late uh, and uh, just helped run the Rangers. Uh, I think it was point five. Did we fight? No, we didn't fire Milan. It was yeah, it was still Milan, but we fired uh, point 0.5. Yeah. That was uh, firing point 0.5 in Norway. is always different, especially when the, you're putting a hot barrel down and... If you don't put it down correctly in the snow, you don't see it again till yeah. the next summer. It's gone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, straight to the bottom. Because yeah. it's what, like, you can be anywhere between sort of like six to 13 feet deep, can't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. Depending on how much snowfall there's yeah. been. Um, so working with the RMR then, you know, what what was that like? Uh, did, did did you go to RMR Bristol? Yeah. So uh, I really, do you know what? It's something I didn't want to do, wasn't interested in. Uh, I'd heard all kinds of stories about the RMR, but if you don't join the RMR when you go outside, you're a fool to yourself because they get, well, they, when I was there, they got all the good things about the core. My first exercise with the RMR 
was the, the brief was oh they, well they like boats and they like helicopters so what we'll do is we'll fly from Bristol to London we'll do an obure exercise uh, on the Docklands uh, we'll go on Orcs Raiders down the Thames do an obure exercise have a barbecue go ashore and I'm thinking oh if the Corps did this for their exercise no one would leave this is awesome well, apart from flying up there that's more or less what we did and it was that was the, like the one weekend and I thought this is it was a nice summer and I said this is brilliant you know this is really 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 good and it was all the good things about the core there's quite a lot of uh old school ways of doing things uh and it was i'll say old school ways. it was just just really really good but i was helping the pw plan one of the pwts uh, one of the annual weapons tests and uh it was little things i didn't know about the rmr and it was taff lawrence who went well what because it's november went, yeah APW well, weapon training in the rain it's, it's the RMR so now we go to Alcar because it's a good run ashore and we go in July so well the Rangers books we could you know we could, he goes no one will come and he was right no one no one came he says because <laughs> it, it was November he says however he said if you book it for July go to Alcar we can go ashore we can have a barbecue and he, you know sure enough the first thing off the back of that wagon was a barbecue and it was a beautiful sunny day we're all sunbathing we're firing I thought you know what Maybe it's us who's got this wrong, you know, and it's a great weekend, you know. Yeah, I mean, you, you've probably done exactly the same as I have. You've been on those days where it's absolutely throwing it down. Yeah, it's like the troop shelter and, oh, yeah. Yeah, and then it's your, it's your turn to go up to, to, to shoot and you've got to get into a trench that's like, you know, two foot full of water. Yeah. Or, or lying in the prone position in, the, in a set of Gore-Tex that... Um, isn't necessarily waterproof, well, especially yeah. then. Did Gore-Tex wasn't in there. It was still plus tea bags, wasn't it? No, no. I had uh, when I passed out. Uh, we had I was through training. I had plus tea bags, and then when I got to four two, I think it was about nineteen ninety two for Manor. I think my first tour ninety one. That was where you got issued Gore-Tex. Really? So, yeah, yeah. Pusses Gore-Tex. That was Pusses Gore-Tex, and then uh, it constantly changed. But I suppose it depended what unit we we're in. But I know four two had it. Yeah, because I, really I, I had some Gore-Tex and all the lining on the inside, all the seams oh, yeah, started yeah. to fall away. Well, yeah, you're going to get old. It was, I'm saying when it was first came in. I don't think I got Gore-Tex probably 2006. What, really? Yeah. Oh, so when I went to, so the second, the second um, Herrick tour, I did Herrick 5. Um when we were out in Afghan, we got we got issued the first proper set of Gore-Tex then. Right. And I was like that. This is amazing. Like, <laughs> it's just new probably. That's yeah. why. <laughs> <laughs> it actually works yeah. and keeps the rain off yeah. you. Not having a Jersey wool, you know, <laughs> Jersey wool a, a, wool, a, wool, a woolly jumper <laughs> underneath a set of Gore-Tex that leaks. So basically, it's just kind of like a tarp with holes in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so... All the sweats when I passed out, they were all wore barbers because the uh, the pusses issue tea bags, uh, as we call them, the old waterproofs. They all all the old school always wore gourd, uh, always wore barber jackets. So that's one of the first things I ever bought myself to look like a sweat was a barber jacket. Yeah, but yeah, today's Gore-Tex is you know phenomenal and, and it's so light. If it's new, but, you know, it does tear easy. I seem, I seem to remember. Yeah. So. Um yeah, working with the RMR, how long did you stay there for? So it was, an, it was two years to 18 months. I did 18 months there. Uh, and it was just uh, a, an eye-opener into an educated core. Well, 
core is educated compared to especially certain army regiments but you know you'd be you'd forget that because you're in rig you'd be instructing and then you go of course you forget that actually people you're teaching have got jobs you know they're not just they're not marines all the time so i was talking about gunshot wounds it wasn't a lecture on gun, gunshot wounds we digress when we were talking about it and i said oh and i remembered oh yeah the civvies aren't they so what do you do for a living and he went oh i'm a doctor what? Because yeah, I'm a doctor. I've got a doctor in chemistry, but he, he's a theatre nurse. I was like, what? And it was just, oh, right. I, you know, so you had got one guy was a copper, one guy was a fireman, one guy was a labourer. Like the corporal was a labourer, but the marine in his section was a doctor. It was, it was a little bit all over the place, really. And uh, so you'd run a course for him at Limston, uh, like a, an RMR3s course. So you'd have to come, so you'd have to start earlier and finish later to get all the lessons in. And uh, when he was doing the tests, they were getting like 90, 99%. I thought, God, my instruction must be awesome. But it's because, <laughs> and then I had a couple of lads from Logs who were going out on, I think it was the Herrick 5 tour, who had to, and some 5-9 lads who had to do the top cover for some of the convoys. So we were teaching them HMG. And they were doing the same tests and getting scraped passes. And I was like, oh, God, oh, oh, here we go. And I thought, oh, God, these are these RMR lads are really are good. They're really quite educated. And we, we was doing some drills outside and it started raining and all the five, nine lads and the logs lads just carried on doing the drills. And the second it started raining, all the RMR guys, okay, it just folded. Uh, yeah. Can we go in? You know? So it was all, they were very educated and brilliant, but the second it started raining, they just didn't want to play. And the bootneck from logs and the five, nine lad carried on cocking the gun and cracked on it. It was raining and, it's like no, lads. It's rain. It doesn't matter. It's raining. We've got to get these lessons done. So you start. You started to see the holes in. Ah, right. Okay, I can see why. Yeah. So there's little things like that. But my time with the RMR was really, really good. And uh, I shared a flat with Taff Lawrence, who's a nutter anyway. And uh, he's a he's a, so he's a shopaholic. He he's never had kids, and he hasn't got a mortgage. So he's got like a. He's it's almost like a hobby to him. He's been in the course since seventy eight. Uh, and he just and he just collect things which he didn't need. So, for example, one day we were sat in the flat, and uh, so we need to go and get some milk, tough. And he goes, uh, "Yeah, yeah, we've got Lidl's. So he's bargaining on." So we'll just, just corner shop around the corner. Because we'll drive around. We don't really need to. We'll drive to Lidl, Lidl's. Uh, okay, so we went to Lidl's, and he came out, and he'd bought a cat wigwam, two pear trees, and a cement mixer. I went, what is, where's the milk? You're not awful. I was like, what's the cement? And I bought you this, £190, you couldn't make it. Yeah, I've got, I've got the cement mix for you. I, said, I don't need a cement mixer. Where's the part of pear trees for? Of the neighbour. And you have got a cat. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've got a cat at home. He just, he had a a 2p coin uh, uh, fruit machine thing in his in his little, in his room. I said, what's, because he's brilliant, you win all the time. I said, it's your money to have <laughs> It's your money in the. And he collected hats. He had policemen's hats and MIG fighter helmets. Hat. It was just, yeah, I don't have kids. He just, he'd never grown up. He was literally, literally was the Peter Pan club. That uh, sounds super <laughs> random living with someone like that. Oh, he's, he's hilarious. He should have done. Well, he has done stand up actually. Uh, but yeah, he is funny. He is so funny. And then there was an RMI lad called Bo Bowen, who went outside as a marine in ninety. Went to rejoin, but at that time. I think the first court fall was kicking off and everyone was trying to rejoin or wanted to join the corps. Uh, so we couldn't get back in, so we joined the RMR. Then he ended up being a unit sergeant major 
of of the RMR. And then the CO uh, was an RMR uh, guy who used to be a lieutenant who went outside and then went through. Uh, uh, I won't say his name, but, but when they went on the on the source together, you know, you think you'd be having a normal run ashore. You know, you've got a sergeant major there and a colonel there and you go for a discuss what you're doing on the next exercise and you know, talk about the rangers and having a drink and a, and a glass of wine. And of course, actually, you're on the source with a nine-year marine and a lieutenant and that, once they're shiters... That's how they act, and they start like almost having scraps. It's <laughs> like, oh my God, <laughs> wasn't quite expecting. <laughs> so it's a bit of an eye opener. So they revert to what they were, and oh, I'm sure they never, never left the core. And, you know. <laughs> yeah, you're never going to take uh, you're never going to take the anger and stuff out yeah. of people. Are you? Or they're they're sort of like you know. Um, me, myself, and Irish, you know, the, the, the hidden personality yeah. that lays beneath. Oh, it was an uh, uh, excellent run ashore. Excellent run ashore. You know, he's, he's like, he's, oh, you've got a bag of silly rigs, haven't you? He goes, right, let's get them on. And I was like, sir, you don't need to be putting that. Yeah, yeah, we do. I missed the call. And next thing you know, he's got a dress on. And we're going to <laughs> go ashore in Clifton. You know, BBC Bristol is just down the road. And it was, uh, the, the you know, if you have a regimental dinner at, uh, at Clifton, uh, you know, they go ashore for the first couple of drinks in the wine bars in the mess dress and then walk back up to regimental dinner. So it's, uh, it, you can see why. It's just, when you have a regimental dinner for uh, for the RMR, you have to do it on a weekend, otherwise they won't come. So they're paid to go to their own regimental dinners. And the house, uh, Clifton, uh, Litfield House, I think it's called, uh, uh, in Clifton, on the triangle just over the bridge. And it's, you know, it's a beautiful set in and, you know, and there's it's like a millionaire's village. We had a really, really good time there and met some uh, real good characters, lads who'd been in the corps, gone outside, joined the RMR. And uh, and there's, there's a few times actually around lads, you know, like this, like, like Titch Bryant. I was quite scared really because he rang up and said, oh, I'd love to do an Afghan. I went, well, if you really want to do one, you can join the RMR. And he goes, oh, I'm not bothered about doing weekends. He went, mate, you... As a former bootneck, they will snap you up straight away. So he'd gone outside doing the Norway Island, Norway Island routine in the nineties. Joins, did the, the tra- got the kit, went ashore with us, and then went did a Herrick Seven. And uh, and of course, lads were beginning being lost. I thought, God, I'm you know, I'm not going to live myself here. For, but I was the titch. But uh, you know, he came back and went, yeah, cheers for that goose. Yeah, I've done that. Put to bed. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I'm leaving now. <laughs> so we you did that. Did an Afghan and left again, and so the RMR was good for that as a former bootnet. Go out and uh, it was a good connection to be with the lads again. And like Bo would say, he said it's the cause great. He says it's, and it's that's why he's been married so long. He said he could go back. Oh, I've got an, I've got a weekend on love. I've got to go and then go and escape and then come back again. So yeah, it was a good eighteen months. Something I really didn't think I'd enjoy, but it was really really enjoyable. I've only really had a one, well, a couple of experiences with guys on RM, um, that are from the RMR, and that's really like on, on Herrick 12. We had, um, you, you'll probably know him actually, he's a, um, an old waterman called uh, Tony Chesworth. Yes, I yeah. do know. In fact, I was his brother. Yep. Dave is a tanky in the 90s with me. Yep. And yeah, so Tony, I didn't know, you know, because he ended up being a fireman, I think. Yeah, so he lives down in Plimstock. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know him personally, but I know his brother, Little Ch- uh, little Ches. And uh, yeah, Ches was part of the gang with us, with Pob and Titch and all that. Uh, uh, no, Titch had gone to 4-5 then. Uh, but he was in in the late 90s when uh, 
Chris Hunter and all them Taff Hunter joined uh, Chess was and uh, Tony Higgins when you before you just went to Sierra Leone that's when uh, 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 Chess joined and Chess went tanks because his brother was mortars yeah because his brother went when he went outside his brother was a fireman he went to be a policeman it was just he'd do everything opposite of his brother standard <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> But Chez, oh, I always remember in the night is Chez. They spelt when he first joined the troop. They'd spelt his name wrong on the nominal. Right. So when uh, Sloppy Holsop, no, and it wasn't Sloppy. It was uh, Andy Mary rang, ran it, uh, read his name out. It said Cheeseworth, and that was it. We were just like as school children, like laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Cheeseworth, not Cheeseworth, and that was it. From then on, we just called him Cheeseworth. <laughs> I bet he loved that. <laughs> and he just never stopped. It's just oh, even to this day, if I ever see him. It, and I've seen him a few times because he runs uh, uh, along the viaduct with his missus. And I, uh, I'd be out doing troop fizz or something or doing fizz myself. And I'd see Jess, cheese, <laughs> 20 years later. He's like, oh, God's sake. Mate, if he's anything to, <laughs> anything like his brother, he's got like a snap to bang. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Anger issues. and uh, Well, I don't really know where the old one. I knew of him because obviously Dave, but... Uh, no, he's, he's an awesome bloke. He, um, yeah. To be fair, we... He turned up when I was in, in Bravo Company and um, he, uh, he he was like, you know, this, uh, he'll forgive, forgive me for saying this, Chaz, but, you know, he's this 40-year-old, like, guy. Um, do you want to pause it? Yeah, yeah, pause. yeah. Yeah, D- uh, Dave Chesworth is, uh, uh, yeah, he's a good, good lad. I think, I think he ended up being a, a, a copper. Yeah, t- Tony was one. It, it, like I say, he was a guy that he turned up at Bravo Company, and he was like this older guy, but he was a corporal. Yeah, um, really sort of like bolshy forefront guy, and I was like, you know, it was kind of like, who the fuck's this bloke? Yeah, when he when he turned up, um, but then he, you know, he was super experienced, and. Um, He'd done like the old island days and stuff, That's and span, right, yeah. span a few few stories and stuff, and you're like that. Yeah, this this guy knows knows yeah, some yeah. stuff, and you know, me and Tony got to know each other really, really well um, during that time period, and that, and he's, he's you know he's a good 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 mate of mine now. Mm. He uh, commented on a few of the Facebook things I'd uh, said because he's he was a fireman with a bloke called uh, Pete Dahl, who's known in the fire service as Foxy now, Pete. He's died recently, actually died in a diving accident. But Pete was in the Falklands in the same fire team as my brother in the Falklands. So I'd known Pete since I was a kid because they came on the op uh, corporate leave together. And uh, I've known him since being at school. And then he, we did some display for the RMA. And uh, it was 999, dude. That was it. And they had a fire stance and uh, coppers and all stuff like that. And Pete Dahl was there. And uh, there's a photograph of us talking. and uh, Tony Chesworth commented on that, just, just walk away, Royal, because he's obviously walked his boy into death with Falklands death. And I thought, well, he, he doesn't know that. I've known him since I was, you know, a child. I've got I've got a good story um, about about Tony, and it's, well, I guess it's kind of, is it gruesome? I don't know. So he, he was um, he was kind of tasked to go with the Americans when they took over, like, um, Northern Sangam mm-hmm. as like a, as a liaison. And... Um, we were constantly telling the Americans of the IED threat that were up the six up the six one one between um, between Sangin and uh, and Kajaki. Like it, it was it was pretty bad. Mm. 
And their job was to clear, because there were so many of them, was, was to clear basically the, the Helmand Valley from Sangin all the way up to Kajaki. And Tony went with these with these guys, and I think he went out with them, and he was only out for like a couple of hours. And um, they 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 went into a building, and an ID went off, and he was like, you know, the first, if you want to call it, the first responder. Mm. And I think he he either casivactum these guys himself, or you know, he was the main guy in, involved with doing it, and. Um, because he was on his own with the Americans, he kind of didn't get the recognition that, I mean, not when we do things like mm. this, I call, let's call them heroic feats. Yeah, yeah. When, when you end up doing something like that because you're in that situation, you don't really sought after recognition, do you? Because no. you know, everyone's quite humble, aren't they? Exactly, yeah. And it doesn't get seen by the correct people who or necessarily do the correct write-up. Yeah. Exactly. So when on the tail end of that, um, when there was a few awards and stuff coming out, um, I think he kind of took a maybe a little bit of offence to it. I don't know. But he, he didn't get written up or it wasn't reflected in a report somewhere maybe. And um, I think he kind of... I think he kind of resented it a little bit, and he still does now because he still does talk about it. Yeah, um, oh, but he does, yeah. But and, does. Um, you know, to an extent, I do agree with him. And, you know, I think we've talked about this before on the, on the last last podcast yeah. is that as as a as a sort of a section of the armed forces, the Royal Marines, were very good at just getting on with things and making yeah. things work. And it's the same when we're looking after our own people too. The the people that are writing the reports, i.e. the officers, I'm not slagging them off at all, but they just want to write it and then get on with it. Mm. And they kind of forget sometimes that this is a reflection on somebody's career as well, mm. um, potentially. Uh and I think that it kind of fell down a little bit there. And I think, I don't know whether he, because he kind of, I don't know whether he left the RMR after that, but I know he was kind of a little bit bitter about that. But, you know, the whole point of me spinning that story was, you know, in his 40s, coming back and doing yeah, something yeah. like that. Well, that, that was the same as Titch, exactly. As, you know, going, oh my God. I'm, it was good for him in a way because he was mates with all the sergeant majors. He said we could get away with a bit more, but actually he was doing the job of a very young man, and you know he said it took him, <laughs> you know his his body couldn't quite take it, you know. Uh, but what what he did, and you know while we were out there, and sort of like the influence he had, you know, talking about mm. the, the the older school guys, um, you know, was was reflected definitely from my level. Mm. Acting Sergeant Corporal and definitely the the tanky Marines that were that were part yeah, of, the, yeah. of the FSG. Well, it, it would do. It would do, wouldn't it? I mean, that's why I can't. I quite uh, go into uh, and meeting some of the RMA guys mainly because my dad's passed away now, and it's almost like a connection. He was in the corps, and some of them st- uh, knew him, and well, and you can hear it's what he was involved in, which is nice. But some of their dits, even though they're, they're getting on to be old men, you know, some of their dits, it's like my God. Oh, you see photographs of them in the day, and you're like. No, he's a f- <laughs> that's right hard bloke, you know. But he's a little old man now, you know. So uh, yeah, it's. Uh, but I think that's happened. The core is renowned for not writing ourselves up, and uh, and you know, and it does seem sometimes if you're of a certain 
I don't know. Uh, uh, but it, you don't get writing, uh, written up if you just do your average show. If you look different or a different sex, then you do get noticed. Yeah. Know? Yeah, it's all about personality-driven yeah. things. But do you know what? You could look at a civilian business and it's exactly the same. Um, okay, Barrett, there are a few things that are probably going to change, but you know, at the end of the day, you, you, everyone's got their own personality, the way of looking at things. And if you've been in a business or the force is long enough, you kind of you kind of just accept it a little bit, don't you? Yeah. you just 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 get on with it. Yeah, I'm saying that again. You know, it's a bootneck thing. Just get yeah. on with it and make it work, or you know, suck it up, basically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. So after after the RMR, where did you go after that? So I came back to four two, and uh, did a little bit, uh, did another Norway, uh, as uh, with K Company, and I was expecting to go back out on Herrick Nine with K Company, uh, and who was the other troop sergeants? Taff Williams and Pedro Roberts, Kev Roberts, who ends up uh, RSM, uh, and he was the other troop sergeants, and then I got picked up and went to four five, and end up was colour sergeant for two RC anti-tanks out here, up in Arbuth. So I went up to 4.5 then, but obviously they didn't have an anti-tank troop then, it was Commander 21. But when I got there, I went out late because I'd broke, uh, broken my leg en route. So I missed, it actually worked out just right really because I missed out all the tour training and just joined them like two weeks into the tour and just did the uh, generic one uh, with the army. And... Uh, at Lyddon Hythe and then went out there missed all that all the range work out well it would have been planning ranges for me uh, and then went because I'd got a bad leg initially so I went in the ops room at Sangin and did a few patrols with the uh, as volunteering with the lads in the Sangin area uh, but they needed a troop commander in uh, Kajaki so uh, FSG commander so they hadn't got one uh, the lad had come back uh, injured so uh I went out there to Kajaki uh, with Victor Company, and that was, you know, that I can honestly say that that was my time in the Corps, really, for that short period in Kajaki. I think it was just over, just uh, about four months, and it was just full on every day, just full on in, well, in contact every day. And I had some R, an RMR, my top of a man was an RMR lad. I'd taught years before, like called Chris Deacon, nice man, Chris, is uh, a farmer, and. Uh, yeah, he was my top cover. And then Dave Taylor was this troop sergeant for the record troop. Uh, so, yeah, it was... Kajaki was... Well, as you know, we've been Kajaki. It's just... For an FSG commander, it was your perfect scenario. And for instructional pe- uh, purposes, I can honestly say, yeah, this is great because I can say, yeah, actually, this, this, and this, and this. And, you know, I've, I've actually done that. You know, map predicted fire at that range, you know, and, and done that and fired it and, and seen it. At the, all in them for in those four months as a commander. And I could see you sat on the top of those features right now, Goose, with, yeah. your, with your crayons and your bit of paper uh, doing your battle yeah. cards. You know what? You know what? Lot to be said for battle cards and yeah. the dead ground and range cards. It's not something you. Uh, it's not something you sh- should forget. And you know, a map predicted fire and so the Victor, the recce troop lads who were the Victor Company lads, they'd patrol out. Well, we'd go out south or north flat. Mark the route in, tel- in foo foo powder or Dobie dust, which was whatever we'd got left. I think the army used spray paint, but it st- it'd stay there, so you needed to use foo foo. So we marked the route. Uh, and then about an hour later, once we'd got so far and getting into position, then the uh, the wrecker troop lads 
along with the engineers, because we had a five nine engineers who were supposed to be mentoring the ANA, but you know what it's like mentoring them. So they would go on patrol with us, with the volunteers of the ANA. So the ANP would do the up front bit with us, barmering, because I because I joined them a month in. I said, look, as vehicle commander, there's nothing. I can't really do anything. I've got tuck cover man, you're driving, Al Barmer. So I barmered uh, with the other vehicle commander, one of the other couples, or whether it would be uh, usually Sven. And then we'd uh, we'd go down. Uh, I'd never find, <laughs> I never found anything but Sven all the time. I used to find stuff all the time. Uh, and then we'd go into a fire sport position. I spoke about it last time, you know, you'd crest and then, uh, and then once they're high on drugs and they're feeling brave, they'll start firing at you. And they'd try and fire at the the patrol lads, either the engineers or the wrecker troop lads. And then from there, they'd withdrew. But we're still as top cover, so there's only one thing to fire at. Well, it's their withdrawing, and it'd take up to an hour sometimes after the Shura. So uh, we'd just get shot out for an hour, you know, and we'd put a good fire base down and, you know, and controlling fire and doing things as per the pamphlet, really. Uh, but, you know, we we got ambushed at Kajaki Nafi doing the... Uh, Changeover when the reed start when the poppy field started growing, we actually got uh, hips tied on uh, an ambush, and that was it was almost as if uh, it took me back to a lesson that a Hereford bloke had taught us in Brunei in '95, where is remember this Hereford bloke? Oh no, yeah, we've all been ambushed here, lads. Uh, all you got to remember do is lie down. And I remember at the time with Richie Cartman going, oh, yeah, really, <laughs> uh, yeah, just lie down. <laughs> And uh, and we got ambushed that day, and I remember lying down and rolling onto my back and uh, scrabbling for me uh, me day set to get uh, to give the contact report. And because Kajaki Nafi behind it is a big uh, sand boundary type thing, bunker type thing, and the and the rounds were going really high. And I remember thinking then, all oh, right, he's right, you know. And then looking up and seeing the top cover man, point five getting the rounds down, and I went, shit, I'm laid down here, and he's actually up there, get, so I, I remember jumping up, because I, I couldn't find GPMG, it wasn't high enough, because there's a building in the way, so I jumped, uh, where, the, where the GPMG happened to be, so I jumped up, uh, dragged another box up to help him change uh, the belt, because he was about to change, so I basically got the belt on for him, as a two-man team, and I said to him, where are you firing? Oh, you know. And uh, he said, uh, I'm firing the trees, I went, no, no, Fire on the floor. Don't fire at the fucking trees. Fire at the floor because the ricochets will get them. It's like, you know, when you're on the range and you don't know where you're firing. Just fire at the floor. Uh, so we fired at the floor of where the trees were and then that stopped the contact. But that was Kajaki all over because from then we still had to achieve the mission. We still had to crack on. We still had to move forward, do, and, you know, it was, even though Shura wasn't on because they were probably all in the ambush. You know, we still had to carry on and do the thing. And then we got back and then we got incoming that night as well. It was just it was like cowboy time I think um, you know when when people are not in the military or you know did that 15, 15 year period or four, 10 year period of those Afghan tours it's when, when you're describing the realities the realities of you know bullets coming mm. in and tracer and stuff like that you, you can never really lay it down for people can no. you and you, you yeah. know when you watch these you know when the when you watch these war films everything is condensed a long period of time is condensed into an hour and a half to 2 hours isn't it yeah so you don't see 
the insertion into an area. No. All you see (laughs) is maybe a couple of guys walking along. Oh, yeah, you know, we're just patrolling along and boom, there's a contact. Yeah. That's the the predominance of where the film is sort of like, where it comes from. And then once that dies down, that's it. It cuts to another scene. Well, you know, you've you've just got to that point. Yeah. You've got to get back to. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the majority of injuries and actually people that got hurt during those Herrick times was not during the firefights. It was during the extractions. Yeah, very much so. Because yeah. behind you, they were planting IEDs or they were setting up little ambushes. Yeah. Classic. 364. Yeah, classic 364. Th- classic generic war fighting. Yeah. Well, I've got some footage, hel- my own helmet cam footage that I've got. And uh, when I was watching it back, you know, this typical, we were in a fire support position and some A-10s, uh, A-10s come over. And obviously I've filmed the A-10s coming over. And I remember at the time explosions going off. And that was it. Now, when I watched the footage back, as they're screaming in and blowing up, you can actually hear on the footage, kum, kum. they actually were sniping us as they were firing. So that they, they knew that we wouldn't be necessarily... And you can hear it actually on the footage. I didn't hear it at the time because you hear us talk, uh, talking and giving the contract report and talking. But you can actually hear it literally just whiz past our ears where it sniped us. Uh, and they, they got us in a triangulation of fire. We're there for eight. We got cut off for eight hours, basically. Went to, I think it was called Three Peaks or something, right out in Kajaki on the south flat, north flat, I can't remember what it was now, over the bridge that way. And uh, we were, weren't cut off, but basically we were in a position whilst the 5'9 lads and the record troop were moving way forward. And one of the 5'9 lads actually had his legs blown off that day. Uh, in fact, I was on the ward with him uh, later on at, at Headley Court. And uh, probably won't say his name. But anyway, yeah, he, he, and that's when the, the contact finished, when this lad got blown up. And uh, as we were withdrawing, I remember... It's a, we were fire, driving back in the jackals and the tracer rounds were coming between the vehicles and the top, I said to the top command, don't bother firing because it's just, he ain't going to hit anything. We couldn't see where it's coming from. So I went to use the uh, smoke dischargers and I'd never used them before. So I hit the smoke discharger and it fired out and all I could see is the forward one going in and it just about to drop into the wagon in front. Oh, no. And I was like, oh, no, I'm going to sit. So I, was like, I got in the net, go, go, drive forward, go, go. And I think he thought he was being, something was going to happen. So he literally drove, I don't know if he, he did hear me, but he drove forward just a little bit quicker and the, and the white foss just dropped just behind him. So I nearly set fire to the front wagon because of the white foss. But it was instant smoke, but I didn't realise what actually some actually fly forward, not just to the side. But yeah, I think I wanted to use it because I've never used it. But, uh, yeah. The amount of NDs that happened with those <laughs> smoke exchangers were, um, were crazy. I know people were just letting them off and accidentally, like they were doing something and they pulled the switches up and just knocked them by mistake. And they were just diving yeah. for covering like in their grots and stuff. Yeah. And then uh, that's when... Uh, uh, where uh, Birchie was killed, and then that's the, the driver started dri- uh, driving with the uh, pistols, so the, the driver would hold a pistol as he drove. And that's on the footage a few times, and a few people have seen that and go, oh, what's the driver got his pistol for? And I was like, well, people who are, get there, you can't get them with a the top cover, you know. That, that We didn't really have that problem in uh, Kajaki, wasn't that we didn't really see any population. It was, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was a dark time, time, that was, because I, um, I was on the training team um, and uh, someone, someone rang me up. I can't remember who it was now. 
It might have been Bugsy actually. Hmm. And uh, he goes, have you, heard, have you heard about Birchin? I was like, ah, nope. And then, you know, he said, I was in bits. Oh, mate, I fucking cried uh, till I was fucking empty. I, 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 I was on the top, I was in the sang, sat, uh, tower at Sangin when it happened. And we'd we'd had a contact in the FSG tower. And I'd go up there on my time off from the ops room because the point uh, fives weren't meant, that weren't being manned. They were being stood to uh, if anything happened, but they weren't. So I'd go up there and clean them and make sure and uh, basically taught some uh, lads some basic drills on them who didn't know point five. And when I was up there, uh, we got a uh, mark. Can't remember what it's called then. What sixteen rocket or something like that? Where they when they put black and uh, black and brown together on a rocket and fire it on a bit of scaffolding. I can't remember what, what it's the called. Um, uh, I say mark not one hundred fives. There, were... it, it, it was like a, a warhead. So it was one of our that they'd line it up and put. Yeah, they put it on the drone pipe. And yeah, just light yeah. It like like a. Um, so they they did that basically. Like a firework, yeah. And one of the other lads, in fact, four or five lost four lads that day. Uh, and it was a dark time, dark, dark time. And uh, it's December it was. And uh, yeah, it was just before Christmas. And yeah, and, and the guy next to me, one of the uh, victim company, goes, Oh, yeah, we've uh, lost a lad called Burchell. And I went, Burchell? I don't know. I don't know. And I think, and he goes, Yeah, it's tanky. And I suddenly went, he clicked and I went, oh, Fuck, he's got his name wrong. You mean Birch? And he said, and I said, oh my, and I fucking hell, still. <laughs> yeah. And it was just, Jesus Christ. And we were actually in contact as well. And I remember, you know, we're, we're four, five, we're four. And I was in the fucking thing and they pulled out this, got the point five. And I was like, there's a fine point. I can see the smoke trace and we're firing. And I just heard this, inf- this just heard that, that information. And I was un- unbelievably upset. And I was like, just get the fucking, get the rails on. But hit, firing into this uh, firing point. And as I was under, they tied the ammo and lit, Ammunition boxes together, and I was like, "Fuck, that was that fucking routines there." And it's five, five, six ammunition was in there, and I was like, "What's the fucking point five sang Fucking gobbing off about fucking how good you are. Fucking get the right ammo. In <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, I um I went up to his uh, up to his funeral, and there was like hundreds of people there. Yeah, and it, it was it was a you know super good send off. Um, I, I did his speech at you know everyone does a little memorial at the time. I yeah. did his speech for then, and then. Uh, and then when we got back, Shep was the RSM. He said, would you like to go to their poppy day in November and represent? And I thought, oh, God, that'd be great. That'd be an honour. So yeah. a, a few of us went. And yeah, it was a, a, a good sesh. It was a very good sesh. He would have been proud. Yes. Uh, and went, went to his graveside and uh, God, it was, yeah, it just didn't seem right. His, you know, beautiful young bride who, you know, had been married three months, hadn't he? Yeah. You know. Yeah, it wasn't good. What was your um? What was the most poignant point point of that that tour? You know, what what's what's one of the stories that you know someone says, "Oh, you've been to Afghan." You know, what's one of those stories that comes straight to the forefront of your mind? I think I think it was that ambush, really. That that ambush, Mark dying, uh, and I joined them uh, Victor Company a bit later on, and they'd already lost two lads already. Uh, you know, so. I, it, and it was written on the wall. Uh, life has a flavour. I think it was, it was written on the wall, and I took a picture of it. And it really, it, it life has a flavour. The sheltered will never, never taste. And I thought, fucking, hell, that's awesome, you know. Uh, and that was written on the wall there. And the mentoring team, uh, Lee Collins was with, and there was four of them, and two of the lads were killed, and they weren't replaced. So it was really dark times, you know, especially when guys aren't replaced. And uh, yeah, it was. 
yeah, it was uh, a time where I'd say for an instructional point of view, I can say now, yeah, all right, to do this, do that to fire to uh, f- yeah, point five can fire. 4.5k map predicted fire however i don't recommend it because if you've got a team under if you've got blokes advancing underneath rounds do drop out the sky and land the, near them a number of times you know oh yeah well i've been taught that on sf fire that you can fire at that range and a number of times the iraqi troop lads going no you need to check fire <laughs> yeah the beating zone is a little bit wider than we expected ah right and so it depends what ammunition you've got who's it's been you know like in iraq you've got greek ammunition it, you know, it literally goes all over the place. Especially when you're running out and they don't give you the correct amount of ammunition. You yeah. find like, oh, look, there's there's a thousand rounds of 50 cal in this shake <laughs> I wonder whose that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you find out it's yeah. like some tungsten dart ammunition yeah. or something totally like agree. that. Totally agree. So, yeah, issued points. Oh, God, a rat, Jesus Christ. Old Browning machine guns with man ray engineering barrels and Greek ammunition wasn't a good mix. Luckily, those mistakes have been uh, turned about time Afghan. Otherwise, it would have been a lot different. Yeah, and then the GMG came in, and that was a that was a game changer when that baby came in. It was like, wow, this is awesome. Yeah, it was a very it was a reluctant thing that people because well, I had it on my vehicle on Herrick Five because that's when it first came in. Mm. We were out in theory, and they yeah. brought it out. Yeah, didn't they issue the wrong ammunition? Didn't they? And they fired. Paint rounds, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, so so that was yeah. that was um that was M company to start with, yeah. So they, they put a load of GMG rounds and then the next morning because it was a night fire and they fired it. And then the next morning the patrol went down and they were like, Where's all this paint come from? Yeah. And they I remember, get, I remember who was it? I think it was Smacker who told me. Yeah. Mark McKinley and he said it's like a scene from Shrek. He could see like yeah. that's of people on walls. <laughs> yeah, so so people didn't really want it. Um and plus the fact that they sent all of these uh, grenade machine guns out, but they hadn't sent enough ammunition out. Oh, right, so yeah. they well, tried. That, they tried to send us out it. with, I, th- I think, it was the thirty-two rounds in the container. Don't know why it was thirty-two. I think it, it was. No, it's box thirty-two. Yeah, and then, um, and then they wanted us to send us out with like four boxes, and I was like, some of our contacts. Yeah. Last for like six to eight hours. Yeah, that, you send me out with four boxes, that's gone, and then I'm obsolete. Then it's bizarre because that hadn't not with GMG ammunition, but that was exactly the same in Kajaki. With we had armor piercing rounds, but we were only allowed to carry four hundred. We were only allowed to carry four hundred. Uh, t- sorry, four boxes. So it would have been uh, eight hundred rounds, and it was like well, why? Because yeah. the, the armor piercing actually did did damage and bring down a a, a wall, whereas normal ammunition necessarily didn't. So. Every time I went on patrol, I'd say I'd fired it, so I could order more. But you weren't allowed to carry any more than four boxes of armor piercing. It's stupid. Yeah, in, in the end, like I was saying, we were we were going places, and it would just be like beg, borrow, steal. Mm. Um, majority of the time, it was stealing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we were like, you know. But eventually, they did um, uh, the the higher echelons or the uh, the QMs um, did listen, and um, you know, we ended up getting. A, a, a ton of ammo, um, which was obviously good because uh, otherwise we'd have this um, GMG, which is a brilliant weapon. Oh, excellent. Um, but we wouldn't have any any ammunition to fire it, so you just kind of like, well, it's just wasted a yeah. wasted platform really to stick on yeah. something. So yeah, it was a really good bit of kit. Um, and then you know we took it up in anti tanks as well, didn't we? So yeah, we, that's right. Well, when I was four or five, when we got back. We actually had a weapons company for a bit. We made a whiskey weapons company. So we had a SF troop, an anti-tank troop, a GMG troop, and then a GD troop, uh, which was 
sorry, the GD troop was the SF troop, sorry. So we had HMG, GMG, and Javelin troop with the SF. And within one term, all the GMG, HMG, and anti-tankers had all really amalgamated because they were HW3s, whereas the GD SF troop, they had to reteach the SF lads because they were constantly getting pinged. So we ended up being the demo men for them. But the 4-5, that weapons company, within a very short period of time, we were, well, what should we do now? Oh, we'll go back onto the AFE, and we started teaching AFE again, and uh, Spider was the branch sponsor, and he could ring me, as t- and I was in the same office as all the troop sergeants. He could ask me about a person and that troop, and i go, yeah, he's such and such. And he, I had a direct point of contact for, and it was like a bit like an old and it's troop for a little bit. In fact, it was even better because we had GMGs, HMGs, and I could spend my time. I had actually had a Storman, which could actually make, so we had a made camnets and like Steve Isaacs had done for us at 40, made camnets with calm stitch underneath them, so like let these duvets to carry in the field to throw over yourselves, and it was, and then I was like, oh, we're going to have jackals. Oh no, you back to Pinscows with trailers. Uh, what? <laughs> you, we, we can't be going back to this, surely. No, not after all these lessons learnt. We're not going back to that. Oh, well, what do you want to do? Oh, oh, no, no. Yeah, and that's when... Yeah, and then I ended up being a, an extract after that. You know, I moved, started moving away from it. But I hear it in the mess now. The same old stories, the same old arguments from some of the tanky seniors, and you think, God, things haven't changed. <laughs> yeah, it's a vicious circle sometimes, yeah. isn't it? You, you, you can't... Um, you can't get away from sort of like the, the generic war fighting. And like you say, because of our drafting system we have... Whether it's a good thing or a, don't, a bad thing, I don't know. You, you can argue that till you're blue in the face. Yeah, but um, I think because you don't have the consistency of the, the same faces, mm. um, you know, a new person comes in, whether it's an officer, troop sergeant or, or whatever. And it's not reinventing the wheel. It's more of a case of, well, let's try this. Well, all the other lads that have been there before, they know that they've been there, done it, especially if they've been there for a few years. Exactly, yeah. And they're like that. We've we've done this, yeah. And then you um you know it does kind of get a little bit disheartening sometimes I guess. Yeah, it's good for the core that we try things and we're not afraid of trying new things and going down that line. Uh, but it can be disheartening, especially when it goes to things. Well, I know that definitely doesn't work. Oh, we'll try it anyway. Oh, I've done this before. You're new in the job, and here we go again. You know, and you know, and you can see why uh, people get better or people leave or people don't get beyond a certain rank because they've said it's the wrong person. You know, yeah. And, yeah you can see it. Uh, but I think in the better, the core of have got it right, you know, having worked with more or less every regiment Britain's got and then working with a lot of nations and then seeing the standard of different nations compared to what we've got, you know, it's like, well, actually our army's pretty good compared to what they've got, you know. So where did you go after um, after Herrick 9 then? So I came, oh, so we got back there and they asked for a volunteer, uh, they said they made me local sergeant major and I went to Headley Court. Okay. Uh, and I was the uh, army liaison officer, not the corps, because the army wouldn't supply one. So uh, there was a DL lad who was doing the Royal Marines liaison officer on the ward, the Peter Long unit at Headley Court. And I was the army liaison officer, so I was dealing with a lot of uh, amputees from the paras and the rifles, because the rifles took over from us. And uh, so I went to Headley Court, but I wasn't there very long, because uh, I got asked to leave. Uh, I was only there five weeks. And, uh, yeah, it was an odd setup at Headley Court. And uh, I basically, one of the nurses basically said to me, oh, can you ask where some kit been, kit was being donated all the time? I mean, it was people with lit bikers turning up at the gate with bags of money. And I thought, I don't want anything to do with this, just give it straight in. 
and uh, people were so generous, uh, giving money to help and help for heroes at the time. You know, help, so they go right. We'll, we've got a day out at uh, oh, a race. Uh, there's a racing circuit uh, really close to Hadley Park. I don't know what it's called now. Uh, and so we'd go in the minibus with our lads who were injured, help heroes stand up, put their banner up behind us, and then we'd get back in the bus as transport, and I'd drive them back. And people were giving money to Headley, uh, to the help for heroes, and I was going, well, not that I need any money or we're going to do anything with the money. It just seemed a little bit of an odd setup, but that was the early days of then. Uh, and I thought, well, it's the Marines and the Paros who were all the casualties. We were doing back-to-back tours with them, and then so when the core, if you're injured, you got, you know, you got twisted sock, you you'd go and see the RI at four two, for example. But the RAF, you got twisted sock, you get sent to Headley Court, so. I had all these guys and girls who weren't necessarily combat injuries. You know, one of them crashed, stole a car. A guardsman stole a car, a police car, and broke his leg in a, in a police chase. And he was on. The, and he was getting the same benefits of, you know, of all the amputees. You know, and uh, it was a bit bizarre. It, the rifles lads who were coming in at the time, they were the lads who'd relieved me in Kajaki on that, that that tour. So it was a bit bizarre seeing them. And they showed me my wagon as well. My wagon got blown up about a month later. Oh, really? Completely destroyed, yeah. Uh, and he was like, oh, do you want to see? I goes, yeah, the Alpha wagon. And he went, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jack Lee went, oh, do you want to see a picture of it? And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> that was new. I got that new. Oh, it's completely blown apart. And I was like, oh, right, wow. Uh, yeah, so that it, it was good to be liaison with them lads because you could tell them off because you'd been in the same places where you'd got some REF nurse telling him off. And, of course, he's not interested, you know, and quite rightly. And, but it's it quite, it was like, you know, well, why aren't you going out of bed? Well, the para lads throw my legs out the window. Oh, right, okay. So, you know, it, it was, the humour was still there. and But I hadn't prepared myself with the lad's mindset of, all right, he'd lost his legs, but he hadn't got it in the mindset that he, he one of them wanted to be a PTI. And, I, and, you know, he just didn't go, well, just that, that the para lads, the SF lads and the core, that was just the next, okay, this has happened, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to crack on. You know, I'm going to be a Paralympian or even go back into the Corps to do something. Or the Paras and the SF lads seem to be like that. But the Army Regiment lads, they just didn't, didn't have that mindset, mainly because they never had the same mindset at the beginning. And don't get me wrong, I haven't lost any limbs, but they seem to be, and their families, where there's a, plain, where there's a uh, claim there's a blame. You know, even the families. You know, what are you doing here? You know, he's lost his legs. You know, a bit like a copper gets accused. Yeah. I felt, you know, oh, mate, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to help. I'm the liaison officer. Yeah, well, it's good. Well, you need to get out there and do something. You know, I didn't need to explain to him that I'd just come back. But, you know, but you could tell the bootneck family, because they'd have normal clothes on, whereas the rifles families can walk in and they're, they're in their shell suits. And, you know, what, what were you doing? You know, hiding here in your, in your, in your, in your uh, uh, hospital ward. I thought... You know, I'd never seen that before. And I thought, God, I didn't... It was just uh, an eye-opener. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and they said, oh, yeah, you, you need to go back. And I thought, what have I done? And they would never said. Uh, now, there's a there's a tennis racket. Now, it's like the north face of tennis rackets. And is it queens or princes or kings? I don't know. Okay, I don't know. There's, one of the nurses said, uh, oh, well, they've been, they played Timmy Tennis on one of the days, which is a bit a cross between tennis and... Uh, volleyball where six of them would sit amputees on either side with a massive bat and they'd basically play tennis but a bit like a bit like volleyball mm-hmm. and the and it was good to get rid of frustration and this millionaire had come in and said well i'll give you some proper tennis rackets and he'd give them this 
the north face of tennis rackets, whatever they were called. But they were too good. They they'd knocked the ball too high, so they went back to these big wooden bat, uh, bats. And this uh, nurse said, well, why didn't you ask where them tennis rackets have gone? Because they were worth a lot of money each. So, I'm, yeah, sure, it will only be in the store or something. Or So I went down and asked the store, and he goes, oh, no, uh, we haven't got them. Uh, uh, what's happened? So he goes, go and ask the RAFPTIs. They, they might know where they are. So I went down and asked them, and they went, uh, uh, God, no, mate, he says, that that. They're mega expensive. We don't get stuff like that. We just get Dunlop ones. I went, no, no, uh, I explained. And he went, do you know, it's funny you should say that, but the RAF officers came over earlier and they all had them each. And it was, and as soon as I mentioned that, it was, that was one of those days and they basically came in and went, yeah, we, you're a, you're a, a round peg in a square hole there. You need to move on. And I thought, smart, not right here. Yeah. But that was the early days. That was very early days. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that could. It's a difficult situation where yeah. where you, they weren't getting used. I don't, I don't know, and uh, it was. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm thinking. Oh right, okay, yeah, yeah. And I went back to four five, and then uh, came down to four two after that. Is that when you became the mess manager? When you came no, back no, down to four five? No, no, I came down to four two, uh, and uh, uh, was TQ for what was command company. And because I would basically said, if you're going to be a sergeant major, to be a T, good to be a TQ really first. So that's like, oh, it's the next step. So I was T, TQ at command company. And then my will fell apart. My missus left us and uh, uh, ended up being a single parent with my boy from my first marriage and living in the mess on my own. I was just like, oh, what on earth am I going to do? Supposed to be on the next advanced. And at the time, the mess manager's job was gapped. So, uh, Matt Tomlinson was the uh, uh, RSN at the time, and he said, Well, I haven't got a mess manager. So I thought, oh, I do a pitch fame as a hobby and into my history and stuff like that. So, I could, maybe I could do that as a stopgap whilst I can get my lad into because I was in a vicious circle of being a welfare case. So, I was at the end of my time and end of my 22 to get a extension. I couldn't get an extension because I was a welfare case, but I was only an ex a welfare case because my lad was living with me in the mess so the second I got an extension thanks to Miles Hall who spoke to the right people for us and it worked for him and then I got an extension that get my lad into private education so once he was away at Plymouth College it was sorted then and I I could go back to work properly and I was in that job as mess manager and I thought oh that once Billy's through school then I'll look at hopefully stepping back and going back to be Sergeant Major. But do you know what? You know, you get used to what you get used to. And I've been there ever since as mess manager, you know. To be fair, you know, it, where you live now in Princetown and the, the the job and the lifestyle of it, that it brings you as well because, you you know, you're quite well connected with the charities. With... Okay. I'll take a breath. Yeah, yeah. yeah, going back to what we're saying there... Um, you know, the situation that you're in now, I mean, I probably wouldn't change it either. You, you know? No, so the I realised then, I thought, well, actually, if I play this right, I'll probably get more extensions doing this job than I would a W02. And then also I met Amy then, who's serving in the Navy. She had a flat in Devonport, fell pregnant with Harry. And so I started again, you know, and it was, you know, actually get, we bought a place up here in Princetown, massive uh veteran community loads well as you just saw then one of the guys just walked in there. uh 
you know, he's going to go, the kids are going to go to that school. Uh, Poppy Day is packed up here. You know, it's it's really, really, you know, just on this row alone, uh, fireman, prison officer, bandy, next door was a mallow, she's just moved. Amy's on this, uh, uh, in the Navy, next door, para, uh, two nine lad, uh, a Remy lad, you know, just on this row alone, you know, uh, forces, you know, it's a, uh, for VG Day and VE Day this year, we all put the flags out. And, you know, it's been, it's a really, really, it's a village and everyone knows each other. But you'd be surprised how many bootnecks come here, not knowing how many pe- bootnecks are living here. Because I see them every week, there'll be some form of bootneck come to walk on on the moor to escape. Who live somewhere in the country and, you know, oh, I've come to, oh, 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 yeah. You know, you you dripped about being here when, you, when you're when you in the club but you come back to visit. It's quite bizarre. And when it's not today, but when it is a nice day, when the sun does come out here, it's, you know, it's red hot. Yeah, I mean, to, to be honest with you, I think it, it suits you nicely as well because, I mean, you just have to look around your house and around your office and, you know, the effort you put into the, to the sergeant's mess um, at work with all the memorabilia, you know, the, the military's, ingrained into you mm. and that that also reflects on i don't know where, what the community was like before you moved here but i probably suggest that it is not as brought together as much as it probably has been since you've been here because i know you're very involved with like you say the rma mm. the veterans you know you get the guys down to 42 commando whenever they can get down obviously the period at the moment is a bit a bit yeah. strange but thoroughly ingrained into that you know which is kind of a chuck up to you really you, you know when you were saying about people are always asking after your people that mm. haven't spoken to you in a long time they they know it's all you mm. um and, and everything to do with that and uh do you know what I, I, and that's why I, no 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 <laughs> not at all I, I i i would say you know anybody that talks about you talks to you in the talks mm. about you in a positive light and talks about you in, in this manner as well um you know and uh, kudos to you mate for doing all that mm. sort of thing and, and and keeping that going as well because it's bringing that cohesion yeah. of people together yeah well when i first got here the uh, local councillor uh, asked us could we start a, a a youth group like a cadet so we've actually got a rural marines cadets in the village that I started that took quite a long time and it was challenging working with some of the cadets especially the sea cadets because they have rules for rules uh but uh yeah so we started the cadets in the village and just getting them in little sets of blues uniforms on poppy day that was um just getting them seen was uh, i wanted to do a little drill display and i actually went to the armorers got some old plastic you know the old sa80 stocks got them and put them spray painted bits of wood and put them on them so they actually had something to do a, a drill display with uh and the sea cadets you know, went ballistic. You know, they were like, "You can't be seen teaching." And I thought it's a bit of wood. <laughs> you know, it just looks, you know, nice in blues. It looked really good. You know, I was doing a silent drill display, but God, they wouldn't didn't want that. But we still did a parade in blues, and it went down really well with the local community. And uh, obviously, COVID's uh, been quite ba- bad since uh, March for any type of uh, youth movements and things like that. Because my other having so many kids my other boys are also in the army cadets so help with army cadets and uh the marine cadets but uh yeah the uh the sea cadets were the hard work they, they had lo- lots of silly rules and uh it was just i thought they were joining marine cadets to do marine stuff not talk about bells and which uh and watches and gangplanks and and parts of ships they're more in you know it was just uh 
hard work with them. So let's talk about, you know, the present day. You've uh, come to the end of your um, military contract and you're now the, what's FTRS's, uh, what does that stand for again? Full-time reserve contract. Full-time reserve contract. You still continue on doing what your job you're doing now? Yeah. So uh, went on COs and uh, when he actually said termination of service, I actually cried. <laughs> and Sully uh, said, well, you know, when he repeated it, you know, on COs, I went outside and uh, I thought, fucking this is it. This is the end. You know, Jesus, this is all I've ever known. And, you know, RSM was like, Goose, you're coming back. Don't worry, you know. You know, but oh, it's just those words, termination of career. And I was like, my God, you know, oh, God. You know, it was just a bit of a, and I came back and suddenly went, go home, mate, go home. And uh, uh, I rang up some of the RMA guys and they all come and basically we had a, basically got shiters in the pub here. And uh, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, so I'm on terminal leave now, and then go back to the same same job, really, uh, as FTRS. So I'm lucky in that way that that could go on for. I, I don't know how long it'll go on for. Uh, initially, we get a year's contract, and then after that. But yeah, re- and it all depends on if you get on. You know what you're doing. You know this year hasn't been brilliant because of COVID. I've hardly been there, especially with the leave that's owed me, and I've, and the kids not being in school. It's hardly been fair me doing the mess job really because I haven't I'm been in there at all especially with all the redecorating that's been going on but hopefully I'll be when uh, Rose is in nursery I will then be uh, back to doing the job properly but yeah it's, it was a, a definite uh, a shock to the system when they well it wasn't a shock but hearing those words I didn't think it'd have that such effect even the CO was like <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah it was, uh, I think anyone that commits their life to being in the military, especially for 30 odd years, um, you know, even for me in a couple of years time or uh, less than Mm. two years, I can feel it inside me. It's like a building pressure, isn't it? And you're like that, like, oh shit. Like, you know, I was the same as you. I joined up when I was like 17, 18 years old and I'm kind of like that a little bit. Like, I know what I'm doing. I've got, Mm. I've got my plan. And I'm like that. It's still kind of like this is really happening, like you know. Yeah. But um, yeah, mate, it's been an absolute uh, pleasure talking to you, and I've uh, I've loved having you on both podcasts. I hope you continue to get positive feedback from doing these. Yeah, that was uh, uh, that was awesome. Uh, I didn't take like I said, we did the first one. <laughs> it's left me all going to touch. I haven't spoken to in years. It's great. It's really nice, and it's a good way of uh, all this stuff about PTSD. I think it's a, it's good to talk to like-minded people. Only people who understand what you're on about, you couldn't just tell anyone certain things. But yeah, talk to people like yourself and it's just nice to know, get things off your chest and talk about things. It's uh, it's always good. Yeah, I, I hope, the, especially like talking to you and especially the podcasts I've done with Tomo as well. Mm. We talked about uh, mental health on the last one, if, any, if anyone wants to listen. But also listening to it and having that familiarisation as yeah. well and having sort of like that, that rapport that actually other people have got these... Yeah issues potentially going on and you know it's actually okay just to you know have a little chat I think, with I think talking to like-minded people makes a major difference I mean, when i came back from one of the afghan tours like called yorkie malone who was uh, in the rma at tavistock he said uh, oh come and have a look at these photographs and i thought oh, what was he on about and the photographs from aiden apart from the hesco in the background because it was sandbags in the background everything and the sights on top of the weapons Everything was the same. He had a 0.5 there. He had a GPMG there on SF. Apart from some of the sites, and it was sandbagging, it was 
lads, shit tashers, half naked, <laughs> speedos sat on mountains in the middle of nowhere, and these photographs were dating from 62, and the, my photographs were dated from, you know, wherever, and I thought, nothing has changed, you know. And I'm looking at those photographs and looking at him, thinking, oh my God, yeah. Or 65, eight, what's eight, well, whatever. Yeah, it was things, wherever these pictures were from, they, uh, from the 60s. And I thought, God, that's nothing has changed, apart from a few sites, you know, blokes half naked, <laughs> crap tashes, yeah, <laughs> big UDJ somewhere. People don't change, yeah. it's just the time moves on. Yeah, equipment may change, but I think the lads once are in the core, there's loads of, it seems to be on Facebook, loads of people who, you know, well, yeah, when I was in the core, it was different. Well, no, it, some things are different, but lads, lads don't change. No. Not in the core anyway, not like that. Yeah. Anyway, Matt, thanks very much for uh, sure, talking to me. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get to talk again soon. <laughs> okay, awesome. Love it, mate. Cheers. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Cheers, mate. And that's it. If you like the podcast, please share, like, and comment. And follow The Grumpy Surfer on Instagram. Just search The Grumpy Surfer. Thanks for listening. Bye.